to the mountains and they were refreshing, or you went to visit historical sites and they were educational, or maybe traveled all across the nation and it was inspiring. You've been looking forward to that trip, but now it's over. What do you do now? You've been saving for that new home. You've been dreaming about it. Maybe maybe you even designed it and poured yourself into every detail. Uh, uh, you poured your heart and soul into making sure that, that the build or, or the house you were purchasing or maybe that remodel was perfect. But now it's done. You're moved in. What do you do now? You, you've worked hard to get that degree, that promotion, that certification, that recognition, but now you've done it. You've obtained your gold. You've hit the mark. What, what happens next? Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there? Uh, have you come home from a great vacation, uh, but... But, but once you got there, everything that was there when you left was still there. The, the same pressures, the same difficulties, the same responsibilities were, were facing or were putting, uh, showing themselves to you as soon as you arrived, arrived home. And, and so after the vacation, it's kind of a sigh. Or, or maybe you bought that house or you completed that remodel or you bought a new car or whatever, whatever it might have been and uh, and and now you're you're there, or, or maybe you've accomplished something that you've been working hard for. You, you've done it, and you take a deep breath of of, a, of of pride to enjoy it. But also, there's a little bit of a sigh. Now, maybe I'm the only one. Maybe maybe you're looking at me like I have no idea what you're talking about. But I've been there before myself. I've I've been there at the end of a vacation or an accomplishment or something that that I was looking forward to purchasing, and and once it was done, it, it kind of left you thinking, what, what now? What now? So so maybe I'm the only person here this morning that's ever felt that way, but but I know of at least one other person that understands what that's like, and that was a guy named. Elijah. Now, now Elijah didn't go on a vacation, or he didn't build a, a new house. Uh, he he didn't get a degree or job promotion. Instead, he was instrumental in facilitating an, an amazing miracle. So it begs the question: the title of the sermon today begs the question: What follows a, a miracle? You would think that uh, Elijah, who had prayed. And this was the prayer in 1 Kings. If you have your Bibles, turn to 1 Kings. We'll be looking a little bit in chapter 18 and also in chapter 19. But in chapter 18, we mentioned this last week, Elijah had prayed this prayer in verse 36 and 37. He said, Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant and have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me. So these people will know that you, Lord, are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. So after that prayer, God sends fire down and fire destroys the altar, the the contents of the altar, the the, the bull that he had put there. It destroys the altar. Scripture says it destroyed the rocks as well as the dirt and all the water that poured on the altar was gone. 
uh, as well. Now, I'm, uh, I, I'm, I'm sorry, but having God answer a prayer like that, sending down fire from heaven, maybe is just a tad bit more exciting than a, than a vacation. Maybe a, a little bit more impressive than a new home or a little bit more meaning, meaningful than a job promotion. Now, I, I've never... I've never had God send down fire at my command, but but I think I'm safe to assume that when it was all done, when Elijah had prayed that prayer, God had sent the fire, I just got to believe that Elijah was stoked. I, I, I have to believe that Elijah was on fire, uh, no pun intended, uh, after that. I, I have to believe that he was just, uh, he was he was excited. So what follows a miracle? Elijah had to be on cloud nine. He had to be bursting at the seams with confidence and and faith because God had performed this miracle. But now now hold on a second. That wasn't the only miracle because right after that, Scripture tells us that Elijah prayed and God sent rain. Now, Now remember back when we started this series a long time ago in chapter 17 uh, that that Elijah had given the the prophecy that there would be no rain uh, until he said something else, and and that had come true. So it hadn't rained in three years, and now on Mount Carmel, right after the fire from heaven, Elijah prays, and there's rain that comes. So the 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 three year drought ends because he prayed, but but there's even more than that. So as soon as as soon as he saw the first cloud begin to appear in the sky, uh, Elijah told Ahab, he said, Ahab, you need to go back to Jezreel. Jezreel is about six miles away. He said, you need to go back to Jezreel uh, because rain is, is coming. And, and, and so, so I imagine, it doesn't really tell us a lot about it, but I imagine that, that uh, King Ahab jumped in his chariot and, and my, I envision uh, kind of like a Ben-Hur type scene and there was a, a chariot that either had two horses or, or maybe four pulling this chariot. He probably had two people in there, Ahab and the guy that was, was steering the chariot. And, and they take off, and the, the finest horses in the land were pulling this chariot, and they take off heading towards Jezreel. And then Scripture tells us this in, in 1 Kings 18.46. It says this, The power of the Lord came on Elijah, and tucking his cloak up under his belt, so another way they describe that is Gordon Zalonis. He took his robe and he tucked it up under his belt. He ran ahead of, of Ahab all the way to Jezreel. Now, now, now God told Elijah to run to Jezreel. It was six miles to Jezreel. Now, we don't know how old Elijah was, but, but I tend to think that he wasn't a young man here. I don't think he was 22 or 25 years old. I, I think he was a little bit older because we know Shortly after this, we'll look at that in a, in a few weeks. Shortly after this uh, is when God took him to heaven, and I, I really think he probably is a little bit older at this time. So, so, so I don't know anything about Elijah. Was he a was he an athletic guy? I, I, you know, he had been sitting doing nothing for three years. He sat at the Kirith Ravine uh, for a while, and then he sat at Zarephath, and and he had he was hiding out there. So for three years, he had done nothing but sit and eat. How many people have gained weight during the pandemic here recently? So, so three-year pandemic for uh, Elijah. So, so I, I envision Elijah as this short, round guy. Okay, I'm not short, so you can't 
don't envision me. I, but, but, but God says, Elijah, run to Jezreel. And so I imagine Elijah like, really, God? You want me to run? Uh, it'd be like if God, a, a booming voice came up here today and, and uh, said over uh, the, the PA system today, Tim, run to Wathena. Now, I notice Adam's back in the back. I, I wouldn't put it past Adam to do something like that. And I, I would probably look back, is, is Adam trying to mess with me here? So if you hear that voice, just know it's going to be Adam. But, uh, but if God said, Tim, run to Wathena, I'm going to be like, God, I haven't run in years. I, I, I ran, you know, a couple of steps the other day, and my ankle hurt for two days. And so, but, but I imagine Elijah began to stretch, and, 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 and then he, he took off running. Now, maybe Elijah's... Maybe Elijah had dreamed as a, a young kid of being a fast runner. Maybe, that, maybe that's what he'd always envisioned himself. Man, I'm going to run like the, the wind. I have, this, uh, I have this reoccurring dream. So if anyone here is an interpreter of dreams, meet me after church and let me know. But I have this reoccurring dream. It's kind of a, two different things that sometimes happen. One is that, that I can jump really high. Um, uh, I have this dream where I'm in a gym playing basketball, and I jump, and I just, because I, I, right now I'm not going to do it, but if I jumped, I'd jump about that high. I used to be able to jump about that high. Uh, my vertical leap is uh, bad. and uh, but, but I have this dream where when I jump, I just kind of keep going up and up and up and then dunk the ball. Dave, that's what you need. You guys could just do that. Just keep going higher and higher and and you could use some girls that could do that with, but, but I have this, and the other dream I sometimes have is that, is that I can float. I mean, I just, I just start levitating. He was flying uh, in an unbelievable way. It was, it was uh, amazing. I think God has a sense of humor. He, he made people like me, so we know that he does have a sense of humor. In fact, we're told. Uh, in the Gospels, when Jesus walked on the water, Mark says that Jesus was walking on the water and he intended to pass them by. I think Jesus was going to walk by the boat with the disciples in it, kind of wave at them, uh, but they all got freaked out and then Peter jumped out and so Jesus had to stop. But, uh, but it says that Elijah ran on ahead and I tend to think that Elijah ran past Ahab and, and as he did, he waved at him. And and and. And as he went past it, eat my dust, Ahab, and just kept on going. So what, what follows a miracle? Uh, okay, not, not just one miracle, two miracles. What, what fo- not, not just two miracles, but what follows three miracles? Now, I started uh, several weeks ago this series and I pointed out that one of the things that I really liked about Elijah was that he was real. That we would see ourselves in him. So if you have your Bibles, turn with me to uh, 1 Kings. I'm fine. All right. <laughs> Ignore the guy walking by the front there. First Kings chapter 19. If you have your Bibles, read with me. We're going to read uh, three or four verses there, but I'm going to start off by reading just the first two verses. Now, now remember, as I get ready to read this, remember that, that what I'm going to read comes on the hills of three God-confirming, God is powerful, God is going to take care of me miracles. 
So, so what we read comes right on the heels of all that. Look at verses 1 and 2. Now Ahab told Jezebel, this right after they got back to Jezreel, Ahab told Jezebel everything Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. So Jezebel sent a measure, a messenger to Elijah to say, may the gods deal with me, be it ever so severely, if by this time tomorrow I do not make your life like one of them. And he had killed all the prophets of, of Baal. If I don't kill you, uh, may, may God do something to me. Now, how do you think, how do you think Elijah responded to that threat? Well, why, why, of course he laughed. He, he laughed. Uh, Queen Jezebel, I serve the Jehovah, the one true God. Well, surely he scoffed, right? Bring it, bring it on, Jezebel. God will protect me. Don't, don't you realize what happened to your prophets? Don't you realize what God said? Bring, bring it on, Jezebel. He maybe even bragged a little bit. Well, Jezebel, I, I won against your prophets on Mount Carmel. I'm not scared of you at all. But look at verses 3 and 4. You want to see what follows a miracle? Look at verse 3 and 4. Elijah was afraid. Okay, the, the guy that said, God send fire down, and God did it. The guy that said God sent rain, and it rained. The, the guy that tucked up his, his cloak and ran like the wind. Elijah was afraid and ran for his life. When he came to Beersheba in Judah, which is the southern part of Israel, he left his servant there while he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness. He came to a broom bush, sat down under it, and prayed that he might die. I have had enough, Lord, he said. Take my life. Take my life. I'm no better than my ancestors. What follows a miracle? Now, I, I hope that, that as we look at this, and we'll, we'll look today and we'll also look again next week and finish the, the thought, I, I hope what we see will speak to your heart as I pray it speaks to mine. The truth is, oftentimes following a miracle, or, or maybe better, better put in our lives, what follows a, a, a spiritual high or a, a spiritual victory or, a, or, or finding ourselves right where God wants us to be and us just resting in that, what follows a time like that is we end up right where Elijah was. We end up in the, under a broom bush. Well, how, how did that happen? How did, how did Elijah go from the mountaintop? Now, now, literally, he was on a mountain, but, but figuratively, how did, he go, how did he go from the mountaintop where he called down fire and called down rain and then ran like the wind? How did he go, how did he go from, no, I mean, totally, 100% confident in who God was and how God was going to use his life. And man, I am right where God has called me to be. How did he go from there to sitting under a broom tree saying, I want to die, I'm worthless, I have no value, I have no purpose? So let me ask this question. How do we go? How, how, how does it happen in our life? How do we go from being confident that God is, 
is, is number one in our life and that we're doing what God wants us to do and finding ourselves sitting under a tree thinking, why was I ever even born? Well, we're, we're going to look at, at two things that uh, Elijah did wrong. We'll actually just look at one of them today. We'll look at another one next week, and then we'll, we'll see what, uh, what he did to, to rectify that, what he did right. But, but here's the first thing that, that I think he did wrong. There was overconfidence. Uh, Elijah was overconfident. And now I'm, I'm, I'm going to be out on a limb here, and if you disagree with me, it's okay. Because uh, I, 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 trust me, I know I'm, I'm out on a limb here a little bit. But, but he was overconfident in himself. And I think when we examine Elijah closely, when, and we've been doing that for several weeks now, but when we look at his life and we, we look close, I think we can see a couple cracks in his faith. Now, I don't say that judgmentally at all. I'm, I'm not saying, man, Elijah really blew it and look at all the mistakes he made. That's not at all what I'm talking about. In, in fact, quite the opposite. And, and to me, that's what makes Elijah relatable to me. Yes, he was a prophet and, and yes, he did some things that I could never dream of doing, but there were some struggles, and Elijah had some doubts, and there were some moments of uncertainty that remind me of myself. So, so if you find yourself sitting under the broom tree, and you're like, how did I end up here? J- just know and find at least a little bit of encouragement that that a prophet of God, a prophet that later on would not even taste death, that God would send a fiery chariot and take him up to heaven, that, that, that a prophet of God that did so much good could, could end up there as well. Well, I think he was overconfident in himself. See, here's the problem. There, there were some times that Elijah forgot about God. He forgot that God was the one who had called him that God was the one who had, had given him the prophecies, that it was God who had authored the miracles. There, there were times in his life just like mine, and maybe yours, when he forgot about God. Now, if you have your Bibles, look back to chapter 17 of 1 Kings. Um, now, now, here's where I'm at on a limb, because I, I may be misinterpreting this, and, and if you think I am, that, that's fine. 1 Kings chapter 17, verses 19 to 21. So if you have your Bibles, would you, would you look at those verses with me just real quick? 17, 19 to 21. G- give me your son, Elijah said. Now, this is when he was in Zarephath. He was with the, the widow and her son. The, the son ended up dying, and the widow kind of challenges him, like, why did you come here now? My son is dead. Uh, but he says, give me your son, Elijah replied. He took him from her arms, carried him to the upper room, where he was staying, laid him on his bed. Then he cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God. Now here's where I see a little bit of a crack. Have you brought tragedy even on this widow I'm staying with by causing her son to die? Then he stretched himself out on the boy. Here's where I see maybe another little crack. Maybe, Maybe it is, maybe it's not. Stretched himself out on the boy three times and cried out to the Lord, Lord, my God. Let this boy's life return to him. And we know as we read on that, that God raised this, this boy back to life. Now, 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 maybe it's hard to see the crack because we know the end result. We know the son came back to life. But, but I tend to think, and I think this because I know that Elijah went from the mountaintop to the broom tree in a flash. 
I tend, I tend to think a, a little bit that he was questioning God. And when we laid on the boy, it says he did it three times. Now, maybe, maybe there was magic to doing it three times, third time's a charm. I, may, I don't know. But, but I have a feeling that, that when he did it, he was beginning to get frustrated with God, like, God, why are you allowing this happen? So it took him three times. Maybe he was becoming impatient with God. And then, then look over in chapter 18, verse 36. I read this earlier, but let me look again. At the time of sacrifice, the prophet Elijah stepped forward and prayed, Lord, the God of Israel, Isaac, Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel. Now catch this next phrase, and that I am your servant. Now, now maybe I'm reading too much into that. Maybe that, that really isn't important. But, but it appears to me that Elijah wanted to be authenticated. He wanted, God to, he wanted God to show up so that everyone knew that he was a prophet. Now, again, maybe, maybe, maybe that's not right. But he did go from a mountaintop to wanting to die with, with one little threat. And, and, and look in chapter 18, verses 42 uh, and, and following. So Ahab went off to eat and drink. Elijah climbed up to the top of Mount Carmel. This is after he called fire to heaven. It says he bent down to the ground, put his face between his knees. And, and this is what happens. Now, I, I don't know exactly what it looked like. Uh, but it says he sat down and he put his face between his knees and he prayed. Now, now that's good. Some of you in the back are thinking, man, this is nice. I can't see him. All right. <laughs> he prayed. Uh, and you got you to appreciate that. But, but it says he prayed and then he told his servant, said, go check. Is, is there clouds? And there were no clouds. And then he, then he did it again. He kept his head down and said, go check now. And there were no clouds. And he, go check now. And there were no clouds. And, and it says seven times. Seven times, sitting there on the ground, his head between his knees, he prayed. And on the seventh time, his servant said, well, I see a little bit of a cloud way out over the, the, the sea. I, I don't know why seven times. One commentator said seven times is a number of completion. Uh, maybe God was teaching him to be diligent and patient. We First uh, Thessalonians five seventeen says that we're to pray continuously or pray constantly. Uh, Acts two forty two says the early church devoted themselves to prayer. There's plenty of scripture that tells us that we need to be diligent in our pray, prayer and persistent in our prayer. So, so, so maybe maybe there's nothing there. Maybe maybe I'm injecting my myself and my own shortcomings and my own doubts onto Elijah here. And if I am, I apologize, Mister Elijah. Uh, you, I'll talk to you about it when we get to heaven together, but but maybe, just maybe, instead of just praying and saying, Ahab, you better take off, it's going to rain, maybe he had a little bit of doubt. Now, here's what I do know. When we become overconfident, when we become overconfident, we expose ourselves to going from the mountaintop to the broom tree. When we begin to look at ourselves, doing pretty good here, things are going great, we go from a mountaintop down. Now, now here's the, here's the other thing. I, I think he got overconfident, not just in himself, but also in his plan. Now, now how could he not have? Uh, uh, see, Elijah had seen all of his plans 
work out. Now, now they had because they really weren't his plans. They were God's plans. But everything that had happened had worked out perfectly. God, God said, you're going to uh, give this prophecy. It's not going to rain. And what happened? It didn't rain. And then God said, go to Kirith Ravine, and I'm going to feed you uh, morning and night with the ravens. They're going to bring bread and meat. And what happened? Ravens showed up every morning, every night with bread and uh, and meat. Then God said, well, go to Zarephath now and hang out there. And this widow who has just enough oil and just enough flour to bake one last piece of bread uh, uh, for her and her son, and then they were going to die, it never ran out. He sat there for, for at least two years, and it stayed re- replenished. And and, and then while there, he prayed, and, and her son came back to life. Then he went to Mount Carmel, and three miracles in a row, fire and rain, and now running like the wind. Everything, everything that he had done worked out. But I wonder if when he got to Jezreel, if he didn't get ahead of God. I wonder wonder if he didn't get his thinking and plans ahead of God. It was, uh, it was March of 2012. I, I'm not good on dates, I, but, but I fact-checked this, so I know it's the right, the right time. I, I was in Columbia, Missouri. Uh, some people call that God's country. I call that, you know, uh, I, I was right in the middle of, of a bad place uh, as a KU fan. But I was in Columbia, Missouri. It's when I was working for Midwest Paint. I was at a paint store, and... Uh, it was a large paint store that had a bunch of TVs, and they had March Madness basketball games on their TVs. And so, so as I was working, I was listening to some of the games, and, and when I got a chance, poking my head in to see what a score was. And now, now, I didn't let anyone know in that paint store that I was a KU fan because I'm not stupid. I wanted to go home that night. So I didn't mention. Uh, and the second reason I didn't mention that uh, – that I was a KU fan was was demonstrated a little bit later. We we were watching and and the guys back there began to talk about games and so I I began to talk about the game and one one of the employees kind of slammed a paint can down and began to began to curse. I'm like, you know, I hadn't said anything and 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 then I kind of looked at one of the guys. I said, "What's wrong with him?" He said, "Well," I said he's kind of ticked off because he had bought tickets. See. See, in, in March of 2012, the University of Missouri was a number two seed. They'd only lost five games that year. Some people had them targeted already, and with their bracket, they had a great chance to make it to the Final Four in uh, New Orleans. Uh, and um, their first-round game, they, they played the powerhouse basketball team of Norfolk State. And Norfolk State beat them. But this guy had bought... Final Four tickets. He had bought airline tickets to New Orleans. He had hotel reservations. He had all these plans. He, I, this is what's going to happen. And MU didn't make it. Now, those of you that that side with me know that KU did make it that year. They got beat by I think Kentucky in the final final game, but they did make it that year. So, so I kept my mouth shut. I didn't point anything out to this guy. I wonder, I wonder if Elijah, when he arrived to Jezreel, found himself moving ahead of God with his own plan. I, I wonder when he got to Jezreel and he looked back over all the stuff that he had done, all the, all the 
the positive stuff, all these victories, everything just worked out time and time and time and time again. I wonder if he got there and he already had begun to think about what was going to happen. He said, this is what, you know, in his mind, he's thinking, you know, Ahab is going to repent and he's going to tell Jezebel about what happened and Jezebel's going to repent and there's going to be a revival that's going to break out all over Israel and I wonder if Elijah wasn't already planning his victory parade how he was going to go from city to city to city and and lead this revival and hey I know human nature like I said I, I can relate to Elijah I have a feeling that he probably was thinking you know what they're gonna they're I'm gonna walk into cities and they're gonna cheer me I'm, I'm the one leading the revival. So, so he was, he was excited. And I wonder if he didn't get a little bit of head of, ahead of himself with his plans. This is what's going to happen. This is what's going to go on next. This is going to be fantastic. And then, and then a message came from Queen Jezebel. I, I, I tend to think it was like the scene from one of my favorite movies. Some of you, uh, this is your favorite, one of your favorites as well. And if you don't watch this movie, I'd, I'd encourage you to do so this Christmas. It, it brings, brings Christmas into focus for me every year. Uh, but in the movie Christmas Vacation, you know, uh, if you watch it at the end of the movie, everything has just fallen apart for, uh, uh, for Clark. I mean, just one thing after another has been a disaster. That squirrel got in and the, the dog chased and everything just fell apart and, and, and there's a knock on the door, and and a, a delivery boy shows up with his uh, his Christmas bonus, and Clark shares with his family that that the Christmas bonus is there. He said, "I didn't want to tell anyone until I got it, but but I just want you to know that with this Christmas bonus, I'm going to put a pool in, and if it's big enough, I'm going to fly you all back in next summer, so we can we can celebrate together." And the, everyone's excited, and so he opens up the. He opens up the envelope, and instead of being a Christmas bonus of cash, it is, anyone? Jelly of the Month Club. And Cousin Eddie says, Clark, (laughs) that's the gift that keeps on giving the whole year. That it is, Edward, that it is indeed. (laughs) I wonder, I wonder if, Elijah opened that up thinking it's going to be, hey, here's the plans for the revival. And instead, Jezebel says, I'm going to kill you. Wasn't what he was expecting. See, overconfidence in yourself and overconfidence in your own plans, it's true of Elijah anyway, will lead you to the tree. Some of my most difficult laying under the broom tree thinking I'm worthless moments have come when I was overconfident in myself and in my plan. So what happens after a miracle? Well, if you forget who God is, if you forget what God has done, if you forget how God has shown up in the past, if you forget the promises that he's made, you might end up under, you might end up under a broom tree. We'll see another mistake. Elijah makes next week, but but again, the cool thing about Elijah, he was real. We see the problems, we see the mistakes, but we're also going to see another victory. We're going to see how God led him from that low moment, that broom tree, to riding a fiery chariot up into heaven.
Max Lucado tells the story. He was driving his daughter Andrea to school one day, and she noticed that he was anxious, that he was a little bit quieter than normal, wasn't talking, and 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 so she asked her dad, "Dad, why are you so quiet?" And Lucado said, uh, "said uh, said Well, I'm I, I'm I'm worried because I, uh, I I've got a book deadline, and I'm afraid I'm not going to meet that deadline." Lucado went on to say, "You know, it's normally a twelve-year-old." Kids don't pick up on what their dads are doing or what's going on in their life, but she did. And, and he said, Andrea said to him, well, Dad, haven't you written other books? And Lucado said, yes. And, and then she said, how many? And Lucado said at, at that time, earlier on in his ministry, he said, well, I've written 15. And then she said, have you ever missed a deadline before? And Lucado said uh, he, he knew where this was headed and he didn't, didn't like being rebuked by his daughter, but he knew it was going to happen. He said, no. So, so Andrea said, so God's helped you 15 times already. Yes. He's helped you each time? Lucado said, yep. Well, if he's helped you 15 different times, don't you think he'll help you this time? Elijah became overconfident. Looking at himself, man, I've done this. I'm starting to make plans himself. I can do this. And he forgot that God had shown up time after time after time. So, so when Jezebel said, I'm going to get you, I'm going to get you, he freaked out. And he ran for his life. Maybe, maybe you're under the broom tree today. Or maybe you've been there before. Please know when we take our eyes off God, when we put them on ourselves, when we put them on our plans, it's easy to find ourselves at rock bottom. But it's at rock bottom, we'll see this next week, where we meet God in that small, still voice. Would you pray with me? Father, we pray this morning that you teach us to be like Elijah. Uh, not, not to have the doubts, although, Father, we're going to have them. Uh, that's why he's real. That's why I relate to him, because I, I fall down just like he, he did. Father, but teach us to be like Elijah, to hear your voice, even when we think we're worthless, even when we think we have nothing to offer, even when we think we've been a failure. Father, we can hear your voice and get up. Father, touch touch the person here today that's that's under that tree. Remind them you are still God and that you still are in control of their life. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand?